There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Listening to Dubai Eye 103.8, you're listening to The Grill. We're live from Barasti where the game is always on. We'll put you in touch with uh, the latest scores on the doors in just a few moments time. But we are in the presence of greatness at the moment. Uh, we're in the presence of the UAE chapter of the Chelsea Supporters Club. Why they come down here on a Saturday evening? Because the leader is with us here. Uh, one of the greatest central defenders of his generation, Mr. John Terry, is our special guest down here uh, on the grill. A couple of questions coming through on text messages. Uh, text message. Can you please ask JT about Gianfranco Zola? Your thoughts, JT, on Zola? Well, a great example for, for myself and the younger players coming through. Uh, again, one of the greatest players in our history of, uh, of the football club. But um, like I say, he was great with the younger players. He, he'd kind of the first team would finish training and you'd see him grab a bag of balls at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, go out, practice his free kicks, stick him in the top corner, he'd do drills with me one-on-one, -on -one, twist me inside out. You know, but all the young lads were constantly learning off him the way he, eat, uh, he would eat before and after training. He'd go in the gym, stretch, and it, just, it was infectious because we all started doing what Gianfranco Zola was doing. And you look at kind of what players are doing now, the yoga, the stretching, eating the right food. He was doing that 20, 20 25 years ago. Another question that's come through on the text. Keep them coming through, 4001. Can you please ask JT about David Luiz? Goodbye. A very goodbye for Chelsea. Yeah, fantastic uh, footballer. Um, obviously, him and Frank have had a grown-up conversation. They've, he's obviously part of the club and gone to Arsenal. But, yeah, a great servant for the club and uh, won, won many trophies. But a uh, big personality around the place as well. Those are the texts that are coming through at the moment. We'll get some questions from the floor in a few moments' time. Robbie? Yeah, I was actually we were just talking off air about the importance of Frank's arrival at Chelsea, John, because for, for so long, Chelsea went for the kind of glamorous European manager, didn't they? I guess that trend started, well, it started with, with Viali, probably, but Jose Mourinho, you've had the goose hiddings, you've had, you know, Philippe Scolari as well, of course. You know, in, in vogue managers, a young British manager like Frank... British managers have, have had short shrift in, in probably the last 15 years in terms of the perception in the Premier League. It's, it's encouraging to see for, for, for someone like Frank to do so well in his first season at Chelsea. Yeah, and, and also Derby for what he'd done at Derby as well because for the, the younger ones, I'm a couple of years younger than Frank, but if he would have gone in at Derby and not been as successful, maybe owners of, of football clubs and, and CEOs would have gone, well, we're not sure about that generation of JT, the next one's coming through. So I think that's going to serve me well, the fact that him and Stevie have done so well in, the, in their first jobs. Frank's now gone on to be Chelsea manager and uh, we're, we're delighted with him. But yeah, for sure, it's great to see because our generation, people speak about the golden generation with England, our generation have had some really good managers and played in some big competitions in Champions League, uh, World Cups, European um, tournaments as well. So the experience we, we have and knowledge should hopefully serve as well. Talk about the the number of nationalities that you've played with in Chelsea. Chelsea was always one of the most cosmopolitan clubs. Language barriers, did, did they exist in the dressing room? Because you had so many different nationalities during your time at Chelsea. Were there little cliques of players that kind of stuck together? How did it all work? No, we, we was really lucky, actually. Didier kind of took care of the, uh, the African boys. He was like, if, if one of them was late, he was like on them. That was it. He was like, he was like the king of... Me and Lamps kind of controlled the, the English lads and it, we had a really good group actually. There was no language, but I think from the club as well, when players sign, they have to go on a kind of a strict three month, have like two lessons a day for the, for the first three months, making sure they pick up at least the basics. Who was the laziest when it came to learning English? Uh, <laughs> Deco, I think. <laughs> John, how tough was it transferring from club captain to country captain? Was that a difficult tra transition for you and how did you approach it differently? I think it was definitely different. Obviously, you go from knowing kind of what you know every day for your whole life, and then you go into a dressing room with really big characters, Beck, Stevie G, Scolzi, all the man new boys, and you go, wow, this is... But at the same time, you kind of, I always done my, my lead. People talk about leaders. I think you get different leaders. You can get vocal leaders who are good vocally and can, can hold meetings and, and, and plays like that. For me, I was always that leader of being the example. So the way I trained, the way I... Um, quit myself on, on the training pitch every day that's how I like to lead I can obviously hold dressing rooms and, and things like that not a problem for me as well but I think most importantly you have to lead from the front and make sure you're the one you know driving the team
we're going to get some questions from the floor. Mario, over to you, sir. Hi, John. Okay, quick question. Um, not really football related, but when you have a new team member, what are the uh, initiation ceremonies that you do in the changing rooms or, you know, sort of amongst the lads? What, what, do, you, what do you get them to do? Is it a sing song? Is it, what is it? Yeah, it's a sing song. It started for, Wisey used to get the youngsters to do it when, uh, when you first come up to the first team. So it's a song, but it's honestly, it's the worst feeling ever. It's like you're 16, 17, you come up with the first team and you have to go and sing for a minute in front of the first team players, all the management staff. And we're lucky when I done it, people didn't have phones and technology then. So my, my video is nowhere to be seen. But uh, w when I done it Aston Villa as well, I was like 30, 36, I think. On it, I didn't sleep for two days worrying about this song I had to do. Got another question here, yes, sir. John, let's not mess around. When are you joining Super Frankie at Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> it's a question I've been asked quite a lot, but... I think as well, for me, eventually I want to be a number one. So obviously I'm, yeah. I'm a coach at the minute at Aston Villa. Frank's obviously number one. I want to be a number one, so that's clearly not going to work. But listen, for me, I'd love to be back at Chelsea one day and involved with the club. I'm still in the round the place. I'm still in great contact with Frank. I'm just, I'm just delighted for him and Jody that he's, he's gone so well. Another question here? Hi, John. Ken from Tooting. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I start, I'm probably one of the oldest people here that supported Chelsea. I started supporting you in 1969. Um, I, I can remember, I was quite young-ish, I can remember the 1970 FA Cup final when we beat Leeds 2-1. And I had the lampshade in my bedroom. Leeds, Chelsea, FA Cup 2-1 winners. What was the first football team you supported? I grew up West Ham actually, so I, I didn't. No, I didn't. So, so you have to, I didn't support West Ham. I, I was with West Ham from the age of eleven and twelve, and I used to. We used to get tickets to go and watch the games. So I used to go and watch their games uh, with my dad and my brother, and I, I was kind of a glory hunter actually. So any team that was winning, I always had. But always had. I had Chelsea shirts growing up. I had Man United shirts, Arsenal, West. I had a lot to be fair. I was just a football fan. I just wanted. I was really passionate about football. But you know, there was a few Chelsea shirts in there as well. Another question here, yes sir. Uh, so it's Rob, who's actually in Northerner, just outside Leeds, and uh, Chelsea all my life. So what was it like playing under Rafa? And the, um, yeah, I, I'll let you answer that and go where you want to go. Okay, do you work for the press? <laughs> <laughs> so, me, <laughs> no, me and Rafa didn't see eye to eye, to be honest. It was, that, we, we had a little bit of a fallout, but he was the only manager in my time at Chelsea that I kind of had that disagreement with, had that fallout. He, he didn't play me, I was back fit. I had a, a pretty bad knee injury from um, when Suarez bumped into me at Stamford Bridge. Um, didn't get back in the team, but um, it, it was just little bits for me. When, when he first arrived at Chelsea, obviously he was massive Liverpool, very successful there as well. When he was holding team meetings, it was like, we done this at Liverpool. So I just, I just pulled him and said, listen, you're not at Liverpool no more. You're at Chelsea as captain. I don't think that's right. It's not right to keep mentioning them. We're us and, and we've been successful in our own right as well. And um, from that point forward, yeah, it, ju it just was a little bit frosty, but uh, we went on obviously to, um, to do all right. John, you're mentioning when you were when you're on yesterday's show when you're actually sitting in Portugal and of course you got, you got the call from Mourinho to say that he's coming back to the club and, and all of a sudden your mentality changed and obviously whatever issues was, was under Rafa. Was there any stage when playing under Rafa that you thought, okay, this, this might not, not be the place for me anymore, I've got to look at other options? No, well, actually, I was out of contract at Chelsea. Um, I had a year left on my contract, and he'd actually been to the board and said, uh, JT's finished, uh, don't give him a new contract, that kind of thing. So I was like, this is my first time in my career. I've had a manager kind of tell me that, uh, tell the board that as well, and, and kind of drum that, that feeling into the club that kind of I'd finished and I'd gone. And then, obviously, he goes, and I get a phone call. You obviously heard the, the conversation. I get a phone call from Mourinho in Portugal, he was like, JT, I'm coming back. Like, we're going to win. You're my captain. And I, I, need, I need you at it. And honestly, it's like I've got goosebumps now. Kind of, but I was sitting there having a meal. I had a glass of wine. I was having dessert. And I was like, no, that's it. I was up the following morning, training, working hard. And I went back as fit as I'd ever gone back to pre-season. And uh, I played every minute of every game that season. Because I went from Rafa saying I couldn't play two games in a week. That following season, Jose come in. We won the league. And I played every single minute of every, of every game. It's fair to say that 
Chelsea fans never really took to Rafa. He didn't do that great at the club. Were you just of a mindset of like, wait it out, he'll be out the door fairly soon? <laughs> now, I, I, when he first got announced, obviously it, it wasn't a popular decision with, with the supporters or, or probably with the players as well. But I, I was still intrigued as well because I'd always wanted to learn. I, I'd heard some really good things about him tactically, his training sessions. So I was intrigued to learn and see, see what he could do to us as a, as a football team. And he was, he put on some good sessions, very tactical, uh, very defensive. And, uh, but like I say, listen, you're not... Throughout my career, we just said their full-team manager have had one one kind of disagreement with one of them, um, but everyone else have got on 100% with. Another question down here, yes, sir. Hey, John. What Hi. an honor, honestly. Uh, I actually started crying when you were sent off in that Barcelona game because I thought we were finished. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I was crying in the dressing room as well. <laughs> so one question that was asked was, what was your best game? But I wanted to ask, what is your worst game and how did you manage to turn things around? Uh, as in performance, worst game as in performance or just... Performance or like maybe from around the team and how you showed your leadership and how did you actually instill the team and turn things around How or like maybe you were thinking that oh, everything, we're trying our best, what can we do, what else can we do to like give it our best? Yeah, uh, I mean obviously Moscow is the one for me but it kind of didn't have time to think about or give any speech or kind of drive anyone forward after that but... That was obviously the most disappointing one for me. There, there was various times throughout my career that we was losing at half-time and Mourinho would speak, all the lads would speak and, and hold court in the dressing room, you know. So too many to pick from. My best, personally, was the Barcelona at home, the 4-2 when I scored and we, we went through. Uh, my worst being Moscow. John, John, just very quickly, I'm sure there's a lot of opponents that feared playing against you. Was there one guy that you would think when you knew you are going to play that team on a Saturday that you were a bit jittery where you kind of weren't afraid of him but were always very careful uh, I said yesterday obviously Omri was, was one of the best I played against for sure but I, I quite enjoyed the physical battles and Kevin Davies who used to play at Bolton we used to have a, a bit of a ding dong to be fair every, every time we played against each other and uh, it was the, the game we won the league actually up there for, for the first time so um, when, we, when we won the league there I remember after about 10 minutes he elbowed me in, 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 in my temple here and I was thinking, ah, oh, that hurt, that one. <laughs> I could be in trouble here. Doctor, come on. He went, you've got to come off. I went, there's no chance I'm coming off. I've got to do him. I need to go back on. <laughs> so it was about 10 minutes later, but I've done him. I've elbowed him back and kind of... But he gets up off the floor, shakes man and says, I love that. Let's go again. And we're like, the, the whole game, me and him are elbowing each other, punching each other when the ref's not looking. And it's like const them constant bouts. But at the, end of the, at the end of the game, the 90 minutes... It was just like shake hands and get on, but you obviously can't get away with things like that nowadays. But I used to love them battles with him because for me, it was very difficult to play against and, and really underrated. John, you had a pretty proud goal scoring record for Chelsea. Did you set yourself little targets at the start of the season? I know it wasn't your job to score goals, but you did have quite a few seasons. You were in my fantasy football team for quite <laughs> some time where, you, where you, got, you found the back of the net on a regular basis. I did. I used to set myself uh, five goals at least a season. Um, most seasons I've actually actually done that and, and a couple more at times but um, yeah I, I think if you're a centre half and chipping in with, with four, five, six goals it's, uh, it's plenty for the team Question down here on the floor Hi John how are you doing? Hi Yeah on 4th of December which team you're going to support? What's the best result you're expecting? <laughs> when you visit the Stamford Bridge Yes yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's the toughest question of the night I know I know <laughs> Listen, for me, it's obviously the first time, so it's going to be an emotional game oh, to yes, Stamford Bridge as well. It's something that I didn't want to do as a player. I never wanted to go back and play against Chelsea. That would have been, you know, just unacceptable for, from my part. So it's going to be a different experience, but um, I suppose I can't lose. We've got another question over here. Yes, sir. Hi, John. A big Hi. fan, supporter of Chelsea as well. I have a question, you know. Uh, do you think football has changed, given Mourinho struggled a little bit with Chelsea on his, like, the third spell, let's go, second spell, sorry, and he struggled with United as well. Do you think football has changed? The motivation that young players have? And have you seen that change with the youngsters today at Chelsea? No, I don't, I don't think massively. I think there's everyone talks about the millennials and the younger generation kind of not being as, as hard or as tough as, as what we was when we kind of grew Things are different now slightly. You know, you, you maybe can't tell every player that they need to kick up the backside or, or scream and shout at them. Players are still happy to be told, but in the right way. I kind of find being around coaches and managers now, when you pull players one-on-one, one -on -one, 
you kind of get a lot more out of them where they accept it. And naturally, if, if, if I started digging you out in front of the group there, you'd probably get your back up a little bit and, and be a little bit defensive. And players can be like that at times as well. So I'm not sure we, we spoke about the passion. Yes, you talk about the incident with Raheem Sterling with, the, with England at the moment. We're talking about probably the best player in the Premier League at the moment um, and still caring a day after they, they lose the game to Liverpool. It's probably wrong what he'd done after that, but that's how, that's how I want players. I want players to care, you know, a day, two days after a game. Because when I was playing, if I had a meal booked with my wife and my kids, that would be it cancelled. I wouldn't want to go out. I, want to be, I wouldn't want to be seen in public. That was the extent that, that we felt as players, that it wasn't acceptable to be seen in a restaurant having a, having a meal after a game if we lost. We've got him for a few more minutes, so feel free to get your questions in. Question over here. Yeah. Um, I'm a Villa fan, so I'm in the minority here. Um, but I just uh, no. <laughs> I just um, I want a selfish question, really. Like, what did it feel like to be with Villa at Wembley when we got promoted to the Premier League? Yeah, <laughs> I am from Birmingham, and obviously have Lampard there as well. How did that feel? Yeah, well, I think you're in safe hands tonight. I think there's <laughs> we're good, but. Being a player, obviously, we lost to Fulham the year before um, as a player. So, given the opportunity to go back the following year, certainly served us well. And uh, it just made it such a bigger game because we was against Derby, we was against Frank. So, a lot of pressure from that side of it. But um, different to playing, really, because I was saying yesterday on the show that when you're a coach, you kind of you win the game, know you're promoted, but the players are celebrating. You feel like you can't celebrate because you've not really done anything. So it was kind of mixed emotions. But straight after the game, like Timmy, we were talking about players we, we could possibly sign the following year. So as a player, you'd probably go out and celebrate for a couple of days and enjoy the night. But as coaches, we're like thinking, what's the next step and that kind of thing. But um, certainly a great night. Was you there? He wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we're going to take a short break. Not, though, before we've got a little comment over here from uh, a very special guest down here. Yes, sir? John, no questions, just thanks. Thank you. It's a nice way to take us to the break. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll wrap up with the leader. John Terry's with us. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. You're listening to The Grill. We're live from Bristol, where the game is always on. Scotland leading Cyprus by two goals to one. 61 minutes on the clock in that Euro qualifier at the moment. We'll get back to that in a few moments' time, but not, though, before we've wrapped up things with our very special guest, Robbie Greenfield, in conversation with the leader. Yes, indeed. Absolutely delighted for the second time in, in two days to be sat here with John Terry. And, and we've got the Chelsea Fan Supporters Club here in full voice as well. And uh, John, do you get mobbed wherever you go? Is that something that happens wherever you're travelling around the world? Someone uh, is going to go, hang on a minute, that's, that's former Chelsea and England captain John <laughs> Terry. I'm going to go over and get a selfie with him. A little bit. It's eased actually since I've stopped playing, uh, so not as much, but... Yeah, pretty much. And once one person does, that's it, then you then you're stuck. Then so yeah, once, yeah. yeah if, if you're at the airport and stuff like that. Yeah. But listen, we spoke about Zola earlier. He was like, he would get off the bus and he would make sure that everyone got his autograph, got a photo. And he's like, as, as a young player, I was like, Franco, why do you sign everyone's? And you know, you've got a game to think about. He went, JT, there'll be a day where people don't want it, so enjoy it while it's there. And, it, and it's very true. So again, great example. We're going to grab a few more questions from the floor. Who's got a question for uh, Mario Bacca? Sorry, sorry, one more question. A bit controversial. When, when Jose Mourinho was banned for two games, did he really hide in the laundry basket? I mean, what, what, can, <laughs> what can you tell us? Where was he? I mean, I can't say anything. I mean, it's, it's really difficult for me to, <laughs> to that go That is hilarious. That. Thank you. Thank you. More questions. Yes, sir. Hi, John. Alex from Ukraine. Uh, I'm a leader of Ukrainian Supporters Club, your personal fan. Uh, so the question is, uh, you didn't play in 2012 in uh, Munich, yeah? Uh, how did you help for the team? Uh, what was the conversation uh, on the dress room? Stuff like that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, pretty much kind of going around doing what I'd done when I was playing, really, kind of making sure everyone was in the right frame of mind, making sure everything was right for the players before uh, before the game in the dressing room, that kind of thing. So uh, as a player, when you're not involved, sometimes 
players tend to stay away, but we was all kind of in the round the dressing room. Like I said, just making sure the player was in the right place and, and everything was right before we went out. But such a big and high profile game. Obviously, there was a lot of nerves, a lot of tension. Ryan Bertram played, obviously, who was a young lad. So just, you know, little bits of, of advice for him on the day as well, who turned out to be, to, be, to be a great, great player. And John, was there, after what happened in the Barcelona game, was there a sense that that time, even though Bayern Munich were probably the favourites for the game, this is Chelsea's time. You spoke about fate yesterday. Mm. Getting past Barcelona over two legs in the circumstances that, that Chelsea did, was it, was it very much a feeling that, you know, we're going to do this? Yeah, 100% we was going to win that, that Champions League final. And we go back to Moscow again. Every, we, we get given kind of badges and stuff. So as a player, you have to wear your badge to go into the stadium. Everything on that night was red. So you badge and you get in the dressing room, red carpet, this, that and the other. We got to Munich, everything was blue. You know, the, the badge was blue. I know that's a small detail, but as a player, players are really superstitious. And those little bits can make, can make a little bit of a difference going, yeah, it's our year. And like I said before, we probably deserve to go out against Napoli. We didn't. We come back from, from a really um, difficult result and ended up going through to the semis. Beat Barca from nothing and go on to, to win the competition. But there was years before that we was miles better and deserved to win the, win the tournament. We didn't because luck plays a big part. A few more questions from the floor. I'm not sure how this one's going to... Uh, this one? Okay, yes, sir. Um, John, uh, hi. hi. Uh, you've played with a lot of players over your career. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot over here. The most naturally talented player you've ever played with? That would be Zola or Hazard for me. Very good, just just pure natural talent. It, I, I spoke yesterday as well. For, for me, though, the best player in Chelsea's history would be Lamps for what he's done, the longevity, what he's won at the club has to be Lamps. But talking pure talent, yeah, them too. Where do you fall on the Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi argument? I edge, I edge Messi for me. Messi's Messi's the best player I think that I've, that I've ever seen. I think if I'm a, if I was a young player coming through. And I'm looking at Ronaldo continuously keep striving, the way he works in the gym, his body, all of that side of it is just, wow. That, if I'm a young kid, look at him. He's unbelievable. Messi's just been given a God-given talent and is exceptional He never player. did that great against Chelsea, though, did he? He didn't, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> you had his number. Uh, Talking of numbers. Hi. I uh, just wanted to ask you one thing about your number, 26. Is it really, uh, sorry, uh, is it, uh, did you choose 26 to sit next to Zola, who was 25? I, heard, I read something like that. No, that, no. That's, that's not true, actually. <laughs> Why 26? <laughs> 26, when you're a younger player and you're coming through, you kind of get, so the, the first team players would get number five and six, which are naturally defenders' numbers. When I come through, you kind of get the next number that's available. Um, so 26 was available. Um, so I took 26, but... I got an opportunity, I think about a year or two years after I made my debut to kind of change my number to a five or six because I was becoming a regular, that kind of thing. I, I, I never wanted to change because I'd seen, obviously on the way to games, you see kids with your, your name and number on. I never wanted kids to kind of have to go out and buy another John Terry shirt with number five on. So I wanted to stay loyal to that and, and it represented me well in them early years as well. Yeah. <laughs> Another question here, yes sir. Hi John. Uh, this is I'm Sayed from Pakistan. My question is, what's your favorite memory in uh, England shirt? <laughs> I, I think, obviously, making my debut. Um, another one would be um, captain my country for the first time. Something because as a kid, we've probably all done in the park where you go, I'm England captain. And I'd seen, obviously, the Brian Robsons, Tony Adams. They're, they're the kind of iconic kind of captains that I see growing up. So to wear that armband uh, for England was, was a very proud moment. We have got the celebration with Rooney. When Actually, a funny story that. So the night before the game, um, I needed a haircut. So we was allowed out the hotel. So he's there. Um, cutting my hair, I cut his hair, and it was like, it, it was just, yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> but literally, we said as we're there, we're like, whoever scores tomorrow, then we've got to do the, the haircut celebration. So that's where it come from. Got another question over here in Birmingham Corner, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm in Coventry Corner now, and I support, the, I support the Giants of Coventry City. Um, for years, from when I've been watching Chelsea, they've always been a team that have brought in the players like the Shevchenkos and the Balaks, and they've never really given much opportunity to youth. We're now seeing a Chelsea team with people like Rhys James, Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham. Which is it refreshing for you as a Chelsea fan looking at that team going, finally the youth are getting a chance? And which of those young English players do you look at now and go, they're, they're going to be a big star for the t future? 
Yeah, well, I think really refreshing because I was probably the last one of that to really come through and cement my place. So I think no matter what team it is, the supporters want to see homegrown players that care about the football club and, and the, the core of the football club come through. We're seeing that now, and I think it's great to see. But what people don't see is the effect that has. So I said yesterday on the show that I have to go, when I was Chelsea captain, I would have to go and meet parents at the age of 13, 14 of going, this is the right club for your, your boy. He, he will get a chance. If he's good enough, he'll get a chance. So even at that age, parents are thinking about taking him to a Liverpool and a Man City that are interested in the players. So for Chelsea to keep hold of their best younger players, having Frank and Jody now in charge will just ripple through that whole academy. And I, I promise you, it will serve us so well. Because if, if I'm a young dad or a young player at Chelsea now and I'm seeing Mason, Tammy, Ficayo, Reese James, Ruben getting their opportunities, I go... This is a club for my boy. And you're going you're gonna to want to get the best players in Europe or in England wanting to come to Chelsea from a very early age. Another question over here. Yes, sir. All right. Hello, John. I just have a quick question about uh, the defence of the England national team. Now, you see a lot of young players with a lot of potential coming up at this day and age. A lot of players under the age of 24. Who do you see as the four players who will become the... You know, the four defenders, right back, left back, two centre backs for England for the next, uh, within the next few years? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see Reese James coming through, and I'm not just saying that because I'm Chelsea. Um, I think Reese will play. Reese played in the Championship last year with Wigan, was, was exceptional. And um, yeah, we tried to sign him at Villa actually, but Chelsea wanted to keep hold of him. He's, uh, he's a really good player. So I see Reese coming through. I think the longer you're playing at a top club, so if, if Reese James, Fukawa are playing at, at Chelsea regularly, they will become England regulars because Chelsea is a huge club and playing at the top in, in the highest competition. So if they can cement their place, then I think those two will kick on. He's given us so much of his time. He's been a very generous with his time. Last question to you, Robbie Greenfield, to wrap things up. When are Chelsea going to win the league, John? <laughs> <laughs> You know what, I think we all hope and I don't actually want to talk too much about it because let's just let Liverpool Man City go about their business and we'll quietly sit behind and slowly keep catching them because we've been great and we're, and we're not too too far away at the minute so let's just keep quietly in where we are at the moment and um, yeah, see what happens. JT, quick one, last one from us as well. I mean, obviously you're, we, we spoke about the Dubai Fitness Challenge a little earlier on as well. Um, good initiative, do you think it's an initiative that might kick on in other cities around the world? Oh, 100%. It's, uh, it's, firstly, it's great to be here, honestly. It's, um, I've obviously spoke about the kids and, and the generation. I think we, we're in a generation now where kids are on phones and iPads an awful lot. So can we get them out of the house for 30 minutes, an hour? And hopefully then that sticks with them and then their kids. And it's like, But I'm sure it, it comes to London. It's going to go worldwide for sure. Mate, really appreciate your time. Thank Pleasure. you so much. I know Thanks, you, you're, you're, you're time poor at the moment. You've been over here in Dubai. You're with this lot. We'll take a short break. Selfies galore. Get involved. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only John Terry. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. Tough one to follow, that one. One of the greatest central defenders of his generation. Certainly one of the uh, best defenders ever produced by England. John Terry with us here, live down at the grill. Still with us as well. Well, he's with us. Um, he's probably going to have to do well to get out of <laughs> the Barasti rooftop because um, he's currently being mobbed by the Chelsea Supporters Club, who are also man, down man. here. What a great man. He, a real man of the people. Yeah. And... Uh, Brilliant. I mean, uh, illuminating answers. He was excellent yesterday and uh, he, he's, he's given us some real insight over these last couple of days. So fantastic. Massive thanks to him. Thanks to the Dubai Fitness Challenge for facilitating the interview. It's a great initiative and um, he can come back anytime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Tom, I was just telling Robbie off air now that if you look at the style that, 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 that he used to play, he's a much more relaxed, calmer type of person when you actually speak to him <laughs> than what I, th I thought. Were you, you expecting him to elbow you, Carl? <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not we quite. We can organise that if you want, Carl. You know. I think he's very experienced at that, so rather not. But yeah, very, very, as you say, very calm, very approachable. Listen, even Hector, even, 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 our, even one of our technical team are getting involved there as well. Uh, as you said, I think that's a great phrase, man of the people as yeah. well. One, a man who appreciates, you know, what he's been given, what he's achieved and, and, and what he's still doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, as he said, lead by example. And, you know, um, he, he told a great story yesterday about 
when he uh, when he was asked as a, as a youngster coming up through the Chelsea ranks to make the tea, he was advised to make a bad cup so he was never asked again. <laughs> and uh, and he said, no, no, it's not not my style. I, I want to make the best cup possible. I want to make the best tea. If I'm going to be a tea boy, I'm going to be the best tea boy around. And, I love that. And that's just uh, yeah, dedication to the craft and um, something that we've seen with a lot of top athletes that they just they're they're willing to go the extra mile. They're willing to put the extra effort in. Frank Lampard, another great example of someone who would always stay back at training. He would always be the first to training, the last to leave. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, there's no substitute for hard work. And, and John is living proof of that. Really appreciate John Terry's uh, giving us his time. Big thanks to all the team at the Dubai Fitness Challenge as well for making that one happen. And huge thanks also to this lot as well. The, uh, the UAE chapter of the Chelsea Supporters Foundation, the Chelsea Supporters Club, who have come down here in their droves they really as have. well. Yeah, no, they're fantastic. A lot down here. And uh, as we just said, John, John is going to do well to get out of here before eight he's o'clock. Got, got he may, he may have to give him the slip and just run for it. In a few moments time. Eh? I, I've got a little update though from a sporting perspective in terms of live sport and tennis. One for Chris McCarty to keep an eye on this one because John McGinn has scored. John might be interested in that. John McGinn has found the back of the net for Scotland. John, so a big thumbs up for the Aston Villa man. Uh, Georgius Ephrem uh, had equalised for Cyprus, and John McGinn in the 53rd minute has given Scotland the lead. So with 11 minutes still on the clock in that one of normal time, it's Scotland 2, Cyprus 1. What's up in the rugby? Yeah, Tom, what I can tell you is Ulster have beaten Bath 17 points to 16, a very close affair there. And Sales Sharks losing to Glasgow Warriors. This is a big, big upset for the weekend. Glasgow Warriors 13, Sales Sharks 7. Currently, we've got Leinster taking on Benetton Treviso. The score there is 12-7 in the favour of Leinster. And Exeter Chiefs have just scored a try against La Rochelle. They're leading that fixture 7 points to 0. We talked tennis a little earlier on. We talked about the sort of the changing of the guard, if you like. Bit of a story line developing. A little bit of a storyline this. Roger Federer taking on the Greek Stefanos Tsitsipas and I can tell you that Tsitsipas is fully in control of this match. He's won the first set 6-3. He is a break of so up in the second set. 2-1 and serving and Roger Federer has it all to do, Carl van Rosenveld. As brilliant as he was <laughs> against Novak Djokovic, Stefanos Tsitsipas has got all the answers so far today. Can the great Swiss turn it around? We'll be keeping an eye on that one. But a moment, at the moment, it is 6-3-2-1 with that break of serve in the second set. Stefanos Tsitsipas on his way to an appearance in the ATP Tour Finals. I know that you're a huge Roger Federer fan. That goes without saying for, for, for regular listeners to The Grill uh, and other shows. But Tsitsipas, you've got to give it to him. I mean, he's a man with a huge amount of talent. He, he could well be, he is the future of tennis in many ways. Yeah, well, I mean, he's doing all the right things at the moment and, and as I said earlier on in the show I kind of think Roger especially at that age now with so many games in succession you know he doesn't quite have that recovery period a lot still can happen in this game but I think Tetsipas just seems to like the O2 arena it's where he kind of comes alive he always does very very well for himself there and uh, yeah as you say Tom definitely a star to watch for the future uh, we are watching the Euro qualifiers. They're on at the moment. It is Scotland who leads Cyprus by two goals to one. Ten minutes left in this one. Um, the reason I'm going back to this is that surely Scotland should be doing, should be leading by more. We've seen goals aplenty going in in the Euro qualifiers in the last 48. In fact, we've seen it throughout the qualification uh, in this particular tournament. Just the two-one away at this time. And it's Scotland, Tom. <laughs> Let's not forget who we're dealing with here. Yeah, I mean uh, Cyprus. Uh, are certainly um, a side that you would expect Scotland to beat even away. 2-1, um, they're labouring a little bit. Nine minutes to go on the clock, but it is a victory. So, um, or at least it is for, for now. But yeah, lots of one-sided results. Denmark beating Gibraltar by six goals to nil. Spain scoring seven against Malta. Of mm. course, England against Montenegro, seven goals at Wembley a couple of nights ago. Uh, Italy beating Bosnia and Herzegovina over three nil. Uh, Timo Pukki, by the way, history made for Finland yeah. because Timo Pukki, the Norwich striker, um, he scored twice. They beat Liechtenstein three nil in Helsinki. And that is the first time ever that Finland have made it to the Euros. So congratulations to them and, and they've got themselves a striker in Timo Pukki he's an extraordinary story isn't he oh. he's amazing I tell you what he, he's been the find of the season I think he scored 28 goals yes. last season in the championship and just hit his straps straight off the bat he has cooled down a little bit in the last few games so has Norwich League. to be honest so of Norwich yeah good point yeah perhaps that is linked perhaps but, uh, but Timo Pukki is one of those he's, he's a real goal scorer he's a natural born finisher he's got a great instinct for, for a goal and uh, he's been uh, he's been one of the stories 
stories of the season so far. Scotland leads Cyprus by two goals to one. Big thanks to JT for being with us live here on the show. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much indeed uh, for your time. Uh, we've also got action a later on as well. Germany entertaining Belarus. Northern Ireland are at home to Netherlands. These games not off until uh, 12.45 this evening, so you're going to have to stay up. Sorry, 11.45 this evening, so you have to stay nice and late for watching those. At uh, 9 o'clock, though, you've got Azerbaijan taking on Wales. Croatia against Slovakia. Slovenia against Latvia. Austria against uh, Norway. North Macedonia and Poland in action a little later on as well. Plus Russia against Belgium, that's a nine o'clock kickoff, and San Marino against Kazakhstan. So plenty to look forward to when it comes to all things Euro qualifiers. A plenty to look forward to right here in the UAE. You heard, you're right, you did hear Chris McCarty a little earlier on. He had to do one because he's in cup action a little later on. I think you've been in action as well, is that right? Yeah, I was up in Kalba yesterday. It was Kalba taking on Shabab Al-Akli in the Group A of the Arabian Golf Cup. It wasn't the greatest game. I, I'll, I won't lie, Tom. Two, two chances of note were carved out. One of them was eventually scored via the, the gloves of the keeper uh, for Kalba. It was an own goal. It was a Shabab Al-Akli 1-0 victory. Um, two second-string teams. Shabab Al-Akli, given the fact that a lot of their players are on international duty, that uh, they are obviously prioritising a challenge for the Arabian Gulf top flight division, the UAE Pro League top flight, and um, they are in a good position in, in Group A of the Arabian Gulf Cup. Kalba, sadly, who better things were expected from, it's fair to say, are bottom of that table. And uh, as we wave goodbye to the legend that is John Terry, um, Kalba also struggling in uh, the first division as well, or the top, the top division, Tom. So tough for them, and uh, they haven't really gotten going yet. Can I ask you a quick question about that? Because uh, we look at the Euro qualifiers, and obviously no um, championship football or no Premier League football played over in the UK and across Europe during these Euro qualifiers. A little different here in the UAE with the cup competition going on whilst the World Cup qualifiers going on. I appreciate that they are, there is a very difficult and congested um, uh, scheduling to get around here as well. But is that fair as well when a lot of teams uh, are losing some of their key players? Yeah, I mean, they don't have as many internationals as, as teams in, in, in Europe. I mean, they, don't, they wouldn't be losing more than, than three or four and, and that is, that's a significant amount. If you've got three or four internationals who, who are regular starters, it, it is a significant amount. But these are group stage fixtures. There is, there's a round robin before the knockout stage of the cup. So it's not like they're playing a knockout game. And uh, as you say, the scheduling, Tom, uh, it's a shorter, more contained season due to the temperatures here in the UAE. And they've got the President's Cup, which they still need to start. This is, of course, the Arabian Golf Cup and a pretty crowded league schedule as well. So I think provided that they have a full complement of players from which to choose from in the Arabian Golf League, I think um, they can kind of juggle it accordingly. But uh, as is often the case, the teams with the most internationals are also the strongest teams as well. And, uh, and we've seen that with Shabab Al-Akli and uh, I think Alain as well, topping Group A in, in the Arabian Golf Cup. You know, they're, they're two of the strongest teams in the division, along with Sharjah, who are still unbeaten thus far this season. The only team that are unbeaten in the Arabian Golf League thus far. One result to bring you from last night. Lionel Messi scoring on his first Argentina appearance since July of this year as they beat their old rivals Brazil in Saudi Arabia. Messi had a penalty saved by Alisson in the friendly but scored the rebound for his 69th international goal. Javier Jesus had earlier missed a penalty for Brazil as well. And now, of course, we know that the Brazil juggernaut heads its way over to the UAE. In fact, many of the players are here already. Yeah, they're playing South Korea. I think it's uh, December they're playing. I can't quite remember the exact date. That's going to be... Uh, I should because we've been giving away tickets to Sixth, it. December the 6th, isn't it? Is it December the 6th? I need to double check that. Okay. We'll get back to you in just That's a few seven. moments. I should know that. Uh, and if Chris McCarty is listening en route to the football stadium, he will be chastising me because I should know that. We've been giving away tickets to it for uh, for quite some time. And uh, yeah, of course, they're taking on South Korea, the team that uh, that knocked Germany out of last year's FIFA World Cup. So no mugs themselves. It's going to be great to have Brazil down in the, cap in the capital. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. No Neymar, but of course the likes of Gabriel Jesus, Philippe Coutinho, uh, Fabinho I'm sure will be there as well, Casemiro. They've got some fantastic players. Are you a, are you a fan uh, of the sort of travelling roadshow that is 
Brazil and Argentina these days with the international fixtures? I'm a fan of any travelling roadshow, even the John Terry roadshow. I think it's I think it's fantastic that we are able to see these teams. And, and, and you know, Tom, I think this is one fortunate thing about staying in the UAE. We often speak about it with, with, with the golf, you know, the race to Dubai coming up where we're able to see these international superstars that if you stay in any other country around the world where it would be very very difficult to see them and i think bringing these teams to the to the uae to saudi arabia etc kind of exposes us to see these players uh, that that a lot of people around the world won't get the opportunity to see so i'm i'm all in favor i think you know the the the, the more it can do for the region for the supporters around here i think it's absolutely fantastic and uh, as you say to see you know Lionel messi or would it be it be neymar be it coutinho in in action within within the uae is is, is, is wonderful i don't want to dampen any fires here and then that. I don't want to come across as a, as a bit of a killjoy, but Brazil against South Korea in the UAE? I mean, is there not an element of that? that Can you I clear like something that? up? It is November the 19th. We got that completely wrong. I got that completely wrong. I need to hold my hands up and apologise because it's Tuesday and we're going we're gonna, <laughs> to be there. Well, that, gonna, was, that was quite a big change from your yeah, Robbie yeah, Greenfield yeah, yeah, from yeah, the 9th thought, of December to the yeah, 19th yeah, of November. Yeah, I know, I know. That's next week, Robbie. Yeah. Mohammed bin Zayed Stadium. Sorry, it's been a busy couple of weeks. What can I say? There's a lot of sport going on and uh, I'm not the most, uh, or I am rather forgetful, it's fair to say. So, yeah, Tuesday. Just to clarify, November the 19th and I hope no one of significance in our company was listening to the last five minutes because uh, I hold my head in shame. We can scrap that from the record. Don't worry about that. That'll be fine. Uh, we we're going to be down there, though. Off script, we'll be covering that. So uh, we're looking forward to getting down to the capital. Mohammed bin Zayed Stadium, November the 19th. And, and to your point, um, I would like to see if Brazil are, you, you know, you, you want to see more than just a friendly. You, yeah. want, you want to see um, a competitive fixture, no matter what sport we're talking about. Um, it's something that matters, something that means something. And I think uh, such is their appeal globally and such is their, their allure that, you know, they could be playing Gibraltar and people would still turn up to watch them. So I think it's, it's just a chance to see them. They've not been here for 10 years, I believe. So it's, it's a chance to see some of those great players, the famous strip of, of, of blue and yellow. And, um, you know, uh, maybe in the future, competitive fixtures might be held. Uh, we are. You are listening to the uh, to Dubai I one three point eight. Listening to the grill. We're live down here at Barasti. Uh, we're talking all things sport and talking of sport. I mean, we're talking there about a massive football fixture to look forward to uh, next week uh, here in the UAE. Talking of sport, though, I mean, what a couple of weeks we've got ahead of us as well. I mean, that clashes with the sort of build-up, doesn't it, to the uh, the, 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 the DP World. DP World. Yeah, DP yeah. World Tour Championship. Of course, it's the penultimate leg of the race to Dubai currently going on, I believe, down in South Africa, That's I correct. think it is. Yeah, so South Africa. A yeah. couple, of, couple of Saffirs near the top of the leaderboard. In yeah. fact, at the top of the leaderboard, CVR. Absolutely. The Nedbank Golf Challenge, of course, they call it the African Major, as we like to refer to it as. But uh, Zander Lombard leading the way there, shot an even par round three today. He leads the tournament at 11 under par. He's followed in second place by another South African, Louis Ustazen, of course, Ustazen shooting that fantastic opening round of 63. He was only able to manage one under par today. He sits at 10 under par. Other notable names here, Lee Westwood, of course, a previous winner of this tournament. He's at 6 under par as long, alongside Bernd Weisberger, who's also at 6 under par. And Bernd Weisberger also leading this season's race to Dubai. Bit of a Bit, bit of a turn up for the books that I don't think anyone expected the Austrian to be in this position so late on in the season. It's going to be a good one, though, because we're used to seeing two horse races in the race to Dubai. We're used to seeing, I think last season, it was uh, Francesco Molinari taking on Tommy Fleetwood. In past years, it's been Rory McIlroy against Henrik Stenson. And, and usually it comes down to two individuals when we get to Jumeirah Golf Estates. They've changed the format. They've, they've uh, weighted it thus that the points will be more significant for players in these last couple of tournaments. So I think there will be more people in the shake-up. Wiesberger currently leads the race to Dubai standings on 4,285 points. That, that won't need, need to mean anything. It shouldn't mean anything. That's the, the amount of points that he's accrued over the course of the season. John Rahm in second spot on 3,898. Then you've got Shane Lowry, the Open champion. Matthew Fitzpatrick has been on such great form. Rory McIlroy, who was languishing down in... I think 40th place has shot up thanks to the recent success he won over in Shenzhen in China, didn't he? 2,763 points 
and, to Rory. And, and, and great to have him in town. You know, there was obviously a lot of speculation on what tours he would play, etc., etc. But great well, to initially he wasn't going to play the European Tour, was he? Exactly my point. And, and just great to see him in Dubai for the week. Because you can say what you want about Rory. He brings the fans. And I think it will, it will create a fantastic atmosphere up at the Jumeirah Golf Estates come uh, the weekend. You listen to The Grill. We're live from Brest where the game is always on. Uh, let's talk about the yin and the yang of live radio in just a few moments' time. When we arrived, packed crowd. What we got left? Just a couple. Uh, a we a couple of stragglers. <laughs> <laughs> and we yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought Robbie had pull. <laughs> <laughs> we will take, we'll, we'll address that one in a few moments' time. Keep your thoughts coming in. 4001, please. You're listening to The Grill. More of the biggest sports stories now. On Dubai I 103.8. Final whistle just gone over in Cyprus, where it is Scotland who've walked away with the points. They have won by two goals to one. In the early kickoff in tonight's European qualifiers as well. So job done for Scotland, Robbie Greenfield. Yeah, very, very good result. I mean, probably not as <laughs> not as wide a margin as they would have hoped, but uh, John McGinn proving uh, proving to be very effective in scoring that winning goal. So Scotland two one winners over Cyprus. That's the first of the Euro qualifiers for this evening. Plenty more to look forward to uh, in just a little while. Just want to go back to the golf as well and get your thoughts again. You know, I'm 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 not coming here. You know, out of bad out of bad night's sleep or anything like that. I'm not I'm not looking to be a fire starter or anything. But just on the on on the issue of Rory McIlroy. I mean, for a man that basically turned his back on the European Tour at the beginning of the season, for a man who has made it very vocal that he's going to compete in just a couple of the major tournaments on the European Tour. For him then to be so elevated in the race to Dubai as a result of, what, one, two results uh, on the Tour, is that fair for the rest of the Tour? Uh, it's indicative of how much of a weighting is, is carried by the four major championships, which actually he's not played all that well in this season, but what he has played well in is the ones below that, which is the World Golf Championships. He's won in China, of course. He's had some high finishes, has Rory. And uh, that's the reality of, of the European Tour. There's, there's two tiers to it. There's a, there's a top tier, and that being the, the, the co-sanctioned events, um, the, the, the World Golf Championships, which, of course, are co-sanctioned between the PGA and the European Tour. And, uh, y you know, some of, the, some of the lesser events that are, that are actually competed by or, or across the European and Challenge Tours as well. So... You know, he's played 12 tournaments yeah. to get to fifth. And you'd. The, the problem is that the tour has to make allowances so that Rory McIlroy, it's as attractive and as easy for him to play and be a part of that tour as possible. Because at the end of the day, he threatened to leave. He, he almost did leave. Um, he's, he's actually been, uh, he, he's been on a campaign against the European tour yeah. this season, seemingly, because yeah. he called it a stepping stone earlier this year. He said that he viewed it very much as a stepping stone to the PGA Tour, which he's been playing on for, for a long time. It's not like this is a new development. He's been playing on the PGA Tour for, for many years now. He then said, after the Alfred Dunhill Links, which is a pro-am event, he said that the European Tour course setups were far too easy. So, um, which I didn't think was all yeah. that fair because this is a pro-am. This, this is a, a tournament that amateurs take part in as well. And I think Rory also played in the Scottish Open, which is another tournament which I think rightly was criticised for, for being set up a little bit too easy the week before the Open Championship which is of course um, you know such a such a big test as, as it was this year at Royal Port Rush um, if, if, if the European Tour do anything to change the system then the Rory's of this world will, will not show up at the, the DP World Tour yeah. Championships and the Jumeirah Golf States and let's be honest we want them to I fully agree. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Tom, but I think these allowances need to be made because to me, having the likes of Rory McIlroy at a tournament makes for a better tournament, makes for better viewing, makes for more supporters going out there, makes for, should I say, a bigger emphasis on the, on the, on the tournament. I think the Rolex series that they've brought into the European Tour has definitely changed changed a lot, especially with the prize money out there. But in, in, in all honesty, and I've come in for a bit of criticism of this because I've kind of understand the point of view where he's coming from that if you're basing yourself on the PGA Tour you've got a home base within the States your furthest flight will probably be five hours you know 
and I think it's three hour difference in time zone depending on, on where you're going in the States. Where if you're on the European tour, your travel schedule changes, you don't really have a home base. There's a, a, to me, it's a much more tougher tour to be on than basically just playing on the PGA Tour where you're playing in America all the time. So I think that was one of his, his motivations behind it. But I think also what this has created too is that the, the, the guys at the European Tour, I don't want to say have stepped up the game. I always think they've been doing a great job, but I think they've got bigger sponsors now involved in the events. Also try to make it a bit more attractive for, call it these big star names to the world top tens to start playing on the tour. And uh, at the end of the day, I think the race to Dubai, having Rory McIlroy there is a, is a much better tournament than not having him there. Yeah, it's player power at the end of the day. We talked about that with John yesterday and, and, and the players, golfers are, are they're sort of loan contractors, aren't they? They, they, they make their own schedule and the, the better you are, the higher your ranking, the more you command where you want to play. And, and I, I'm not, not, nothing against Rory wanting to play in the yeah. US. The US is the stronger tour, there's no doubt about it. It carries more world ranking points. It's got the, the vast majority of the biggest tournaments on the planet take place in America, for better or worse. Um, there's an obligation, I think, and I think the Ryder Cup uh, comes into that. I think if if if, you, if if Ryder Cup qualification was not somehow linked to European Tour membership and performance on the European Tour, you'd have a much bigger issue because at the end of the day, those guys want to play in the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Next year's a Ryder Cup year. They'll do everything they can to make sure that they qualify for that team. But if you suddenly turn around and said, you know, we'll just do it on world ranking, Ryder Cup, you'd get a lot of players that, that no longer support the tour to, the, to such an extent that they do now. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to be negative. I mean, it, it is, it's a great initiative, the race to Dubai, and we'll see the combination of it. I just wonder whether, from, you know, let's take Robert McElroy out of the equation and look at, the, look at the, what the race to Dubai was designed to be, which was the top 60 players on the tour throughout the course of the year. Um, Rory hasn't been on the tour throughout the course of the year. In fact, he's been very vocal about not being on the tour throughout the course of the year. So the fact that we're putting him up on billboards and the fact that we are putting, uh, using him as a... And I get that point. I get the fact, you know, he is one of the marquee players that people want to go and they will follow him around the course, etc. But does it, does it send the right message for the tour per se? Well, he probably won't win. That's the difference. When he was a more full-time player, we saw him win those races to Dubai's, the DP World Tour Championships. But do the European Tour care about that? Uh, they just want him here, don't they? They want him here. You know, if he wins, it's it's probably better mileage for them, more column inches. There's, there's probably he's probably of the current crop the the most um, the most talked about. That there's there's more interest around Rory than any other golfer of his generation. I think. You know, Tiger's a different a different beast <laughs> altogether. Tiger stands alone as uh, as the as the sort of levels of interest focused on him. But Rory is the best player in his, of his generation. You know, whether Brooks Kepka, who makes the point that Rory hasn't won a major since 2014, and, and he's quite right to do that, there's no doubt that when Rory is playing at his best, he's the best golfer of, of the, of the just-turned 30-somethings or, you know, your late 20s of, of that generation. And, and I get your point, uh, uh, but the golf has always been like this. Rory's played 12 events on the European Tour this season. Four majors, four World Golf Championships, and then four other events. I think one of those was the Scottish Open. I'm struggling now to actually remember Canadi the, the you, other. You played the Canadian Open. Was that a European tournament? Don't think so. Okay, I need to Yeah, check. no, no. Uh, we, need, we need to go back and look at uh, he obviously look, played. Look at in, in, Alfred Dunhill links, of course, was another one. The Amiga European yes. Masters. He played in that as well. So, yeah. so, so there you go. Yeah, he, he obviously fulfills those sponsor obligations. But he's by no means a full-time player anymore. But that's the thing. If you do well enough in those big events, you don't need to be a full-time player. And that's, that's just a, that's a glitch in the system that ensures that the best players do turn up. Because otherwise, you're looking at a, a leaderboard with, you know, Bernd Wiesberger at the top. Yeah. For, fair credit to him, but Bernd's not drawing in, yeah. you know, the, the man on the street, is he? Let's be and, honest. And, and in fairness, in, in Rory's defence, he's had a fantastic season. I mean, he, he won Players' Player of, of, of the Year on the PGA Tour. So, to me, within the rules, he's done enough. I think, I think it's necessary, Robbie, to your point, that you kind of has to, have to adjust these tournaments like this to get the big names uh, playing at the race to Dubai. Because, as you say, no discredit to, to, to the players on that top 60, but we want to see some high-profile players. Going to take a short break. It's just after 8 o'clock in the evening. You're listening to Dubai Eye. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.